Hi there, I'm Ravi. And I'm Mara. Thanks for joining us today on Torah Time. We love learning together and we're excited to learn with you. This season we'll be studying the book of Vayikra. We'll learn about some adventures that happened to B'nai Yisrael in the desert and we'll also learn about the work that happened in the Mishkan. Let's get started. Hey Ima, who was the goat's favorite painter? I don't know, Ravi, who? Vincent Van Goat. <laughs> Ravi, the only goat that I see is you, the greatest of all time, Chavruta. You're the goat. Aw, thanks, Ima. You're the goat, too. Welcome to Sefer Vayikra, the third book of the Torah. This Sefer is a little different from the first two books of the Torah. In Bereshit and Shemot, we read stories about our ancestors and their family. And we read about B'nai Yisrael leaving Egypt, traveling in the desert, and becoming a nation. At the end of Sefer Shemot, B'nai Yisrael built the Mishkan, a sanctuary. The Mishkan was a place for God and B'nai Yisrael to communicate with each other. And one important thing that B'nai Yisrael did in the Mishkan was to offer korbanot, or sacrifices. A sacrifice is something that a person gives up or gives away for an important purpose. People make sacrifices all of the time. Like, if your friend forgot her lunch and you give her half of your sandwich, you're sacrificing a part of your lunch for your friend. Or if you spend an hour volunteering, you're sacrificing your time. People can make sacrifices for God, too. Nowadays, we might sacrifice time or money or energy to volunteer, but in the time of the Torah, people made animal sacrifices. It might sound a little strange to us now, but back then, it felt normal to people to offer an animal as a korban, a sacrifice, that would be killed for God. Bringing korbanot helped people feel connected to God. And korbanot could do other things too, like help you be forgiven for something that you did wrong. There are a few different types of korbanot. One of the categories we learn about is called asham, which means guilt. This was for situations where it isn't so clear what someone did wrong or what else they could do to fix the mistake. If a person needed to bring an asham, they could bring a sheep or a goat to be sacrificed. But if they couldn't afford that korban, the Torah tells us about other options. Let's discover what happens next. We're going to hear the words of the Torah now. It's okay if you don't understand them all. Just close your eyes and listen. Unless you're bringing a goat down the street with you. Then keep your eyes open and don't let it eat your shoes. Ready? We're near the end of the sixth Aliyah, where the Torah is talking about options for the Asham offering. Ve'im lo tagi and if they can't afford a sheep, they shall bring two turtle doves or two pigeons to God as their asham for their sin. One will be prepared as a chatat and one as an olah. Then, a few psukim later, the Torah goes one step further and says that if a person can't afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, they should bring one-tenth of an ephah of flour as a chatat. 
Ima, I noticed two words that I don't understand. Hatat and Ola. Oh, Ravi, great question. Okay, let's understand these because these are two different categories of korbanot, of sacrifices, that we learn about in this week's parsha. Parshat Vayikra actually teaches us about five different kinds. So the first is the ola, which means literally to go up. Do you know any words that are connected to ola? Uh, aliyah. Yeah, like aliyah. And why would aliyah be about going up? What are we going up to do? You're going up to the Torah. Exactly. So it's all built on the same shorish, the same root. So the ola korban, this sacrifice, would get burnt all of the way. So it was a kind of animal that would be brought and nobody ate it. The whole thing was burned on the Mizbeach. So it was all, so it was burnt all up? Burnt all up. That's why it's called Ola. Ola, right, because it was burnt all up and it went all up to God as part of this korban. Ah. So that's the, that's the Ola. Then you also asked about the Chatat. So Chatat means sin. Actually, if you remember back to Yom Kippur, when we tap on our hearts, we say al chait shechatanu, for the sin that we committed. Chait, chatat, those words are connected. So they have the same shorash? They have the same shorash, what exactly. What is the shorash? Chet, tet, aleph. So chatat means sin. If a person made a sin by a, by a mistake, that's when they would bring the chatat offering. Oh, but... Could I know that are they are the sacrifice asking like saying to God like can I have your forgiveness if you sin or could the Kohanim or the Kohen Gadol do anything about it or is that like matter good to God? Great question. So what do you what do you think? What do you think is God's part in this, and what do you think is the Kohen's part in this? Um, I think maybe the Kohen's part is to like get it ready and start the fire. And I think God's part is to accept it and think about it. And depending on what they did, either say, I forgive you. Like, you can go on with your life, but just remember what happened. Or, like, like you did something really bad, and you're going to have to keep bringing sacrifices for the next four days. Oh, so like, like if one a, sacrifice isn't, isn't enough? Yeah. Like, not because, oh, you didn't bring me the right thing, but as a... You did something really bad, and you're going to have to keep bringing me stuff. That's interesting. I like what you're saying about the Kohanim being sort of the intermediate parts in between the person who's bringing the korban and God, because the Kohanim have all of these parts that they need to do just exactly so in order for the sacrifice to be accepted. So what do you think about this whole korbanot thing? Right? This is really different from how we live in the world right now and how we think about communicating with God. Because we don't sacrifice animals, but we, we go to synagogue to pray. And it's kind of like you, you said how we can sacrifice our time by like volunteering. And going to synagogue is kind of like sacrificing your time to be closer to God and be closer to people that care about God. So you're kind of sacrificing your time. So it's still kind of like what they did back in the old days, but not really, because we're not bringing cows to shul. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That would get a little bit messy, don't you think? Yeah. Let's think about this related to our own lives for a second. Can you think of a time where you were still holding this kind of guilty or 
unfinished sort of feeling with you and you couldn't quite get it to go away? Yeah, well, sometimes at recess, kids, because they, like, drop the ball or they miss the ball, they would, people would say, like, get out, you're not good. And then I tried to say, like, it's okay, you can keep playing. But then after, like, a day, I just left it alone. And so I kind of felt guilty that I didn't keep doing something. Meaning that you didn't do more to try to... Because all I said was, it's okay, you can keep playing. And then that was it. Got it. So you did something, but you felt like maybe... But it wasn't enough. So you're feeling like, maybe I did something, but I didn't do quite enough. And maybe I checked in with the person. Yeah. And But there there could have been some more steps there. Because there might be something in that relationship or connection with that friend, that other person, that... Maybe you were trying to fix, but you're not sure if it's like all the way fixed or if it's just part of the way fixed. Yeah? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that is exactly this category of asham, where you did something wrong or maybe you're not quite sure if what you did was something wrong or not, but there's still this sort of feeling left like it's not quite right yet. It's not quite whole yet. It's not quite finished. Exactly. And so people would bring an asham offering to be able to almost like bridge that gap a little bit between Uh. them and God because they were feeling like not quite finished. Okay. That makes sense. So here what we're looking at in our Torah text is there are these three different steps of here's the thing that you could bring as the asham. You could bring a sheep or a goat to be sacrificed. But then our Torah tells us, but if you can't bring a sheep or a goat, we've got a second option here, which is that if you can't afford a sheep, you could bring two doves or two pigeons. You could bring two birds. Which is more expensive, a sheep or a goat or two birds? Sheep or a goat. Exactly. So if you can't afford the sheep or the goat, then you could bring two birds as the asham. Yeah, but birds could still be expensive. So now we get a third option. The Torah gives us a third option and says if you can't do option one and you can't afford to do option two, then you could bring one-tenth of an afa of flour as a chatat offering. But what's an afa? So an afa is a unit of measurement, and actually one-tenth of an afa is equivalent to approximately the volume of a football. The flower is less expensive than the birds, and the birds are less expensive than the sheep or the goat. Yeah, when do the cows come in? <laughs> Those are a little bit later. Aw, aren't cows more expensive than goats? Wait, but I'm the goat, so I'm expensive. Not expensive, Ravi. You are priceless. So, Ravi, here's what I want to ask about. If we've got the Torah laying out these three different ways that we could bring an asham korban, one that's more expensive, one that's a little bit less expensive, and one that probably everybody had access to to be able to bring. Yeah. What do you think that's saying here? Like, what do you notice about that? That God is bringing into consideration that everybody might not be able to afford everything, but maybe like like the not as like rich people might would be able to afford the birds. And then the people that like really don't have that much money could bring one tenth of an AFA 
a flower. Yeah. So what kind of a society is that setting up? What kind of Kind of like an inclusive society. Because God, I think that God knows that everybody wants to get forgiveness. And so God is making sure that everybody can be able to bring something. Oh, that's fascinating, right? Because it's not just people who might have money or wealth that might make mistakes, but it's actually anybody and everybody who is going to need the opportunity to ask for either forgiveness or to make something better. Yeah. I love how these just like, not these like big powerful words, but like these small words about like animals and stuff that you can bring if you would like forgiveness can bring so much conversation out of it. It's basically showing you that God can be very inclusive and make a very inclusive society. Yeah. What do you think that teaches us or could teach us about God's relationship with people and people's relationship with God? That even if somebody did something really wrong and they're like, they're asking for forgiveness, but like they don't really know how to, but they still want forgiveness or something like that, they can ask for forgiveness and you can always like say yes I forgive you even if they have to do it in a different way than you might want. Oh, that's really interesting. I I want to can we explore that a little bit more? Yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm wondering about the different ways that we can either say I'm sorry for things or the different ways that we can try to repair a relationship that has been a little bit broken. Yeah. Because I think what you're hinting at here and saying is that there's not one way to do that. There actually could be a number of different ways that you have to do that. And maybe sometimes it's by what you say that makes something better and fixes a situation. Maybe it's by something that you do or do differently the next time that helps to fix a situation. And I wonder if that's connected to what you're talking about. Yeah. I really care about like people's feelings and fairness and stuff like that. And so if something, like if somebody does something wrong or if I do something wrong, it really sticks with me until I can like actually find a way to like make everybody feel better. I was thinking a lot about that particular quality of yours, about the attention to fairness and equity, which is something that is so wonderfully special about you. And it's really interesting that the Torah seems to be setting up a a situation here where it's really actually concerned about equity and fairness here too. Yeah. Basically the big idea. There are all of these different like things, but if you put them all together, everybody should be able to get forgiveness and also be able to feel that they are getting the forgiveness that they want. Even if they don't have a big house and a lot of animals and they should be able to get forgiveness. Yeah, right? Everybody's going to make mistakes. Everyone's going to need to ask for forgiveness. And everyone is able to draw closer to God. Ravi, I loved learning with you today. And we can talk more about the Parsha with the rest of our family over Shabbat. What do you think we should ask everyone at our Shabbat table? How would you design an inclusive society? They're going to have lots of interesting things to say.
thank you so much for being part of our Torah time. Join us next week for Parshat Zav. Until next Torah time. Torah time is produced by Hadar. Thank you to our amazing team, Hana, Michal, Sam, and Effie. And you too, Ima. Thank you also to David Chabinsky for recording and editing this episode. We hope you'll keep the conversation going at home with Devash, our weekly Parsha magazine. Check out the Pshat HaPsukim section for more interactive content. To learn more about Hadar's Children and Families Division, discover more resources, and subscribe to Devash, visit hadar.org slash kids.